We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Bluthen. Alex, how are we doing today? Doing good, yeah. I'm excited about this episode because we're talking about teams other than the Bears. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking here, too. And uh, we're recording this episode on Monday, May 11th, after... Uh, the last dance episodes, which were uh, pretty fun uh, to watch last night. But now we're talking about some football here. And yeah, for what we're doing for this episode is we're going to be breaking down every other team in the NFC North for their drafts in the 2020 NFL draft. So breaking down their draft classes, uh, what we like, what we don't like about their draft classes, and then giving you guys our overall grades for each one. We're really excited to get into this. Like, like uh, you said, Alex, uh, talking about another team for once is uh, definitely something to look forward to. I mean, we've, we've dr- talked about the Bears draft class ad nauseum, I feel like, over the past couple episodes. So it, it's nice to get some outsider perspectives from us as Bears fans on some of the other teams in the NFC North and see how they did in our, in our mm-hmm. opinions. So with that said, we're going to take our first break of the show before getting to our first team. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. 
Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. So what we're going to do here is uh, for our first team, we're going to start with the Detroit Lions who had the third overall pick in the NFL draft as, as a result of their disappointing season last year in 2019. And, you know, what we're going to do first is I'm just going to run down all their picks, uh, starting with their first round draft selection, Jeffrey Okuda, cornerback out of Ohio State. In the second round, they end up getting running back DeAndre Swift, my top running back in this class out of Georgia. In the third round, they had two third-round picks. They got Julian O'Quara, edge player out of Notre Dame, and then Jonah Jackson, uh, interior offensive lineman out of Ohio State. And then the fourth round, Logan Stenberg, another interior offensive lineman guy out of Kentucky. And then the fifth round, they had two fifth-round picks here. Quinces Cephas, wide receiver out of Wisconsin, and Jason Huntley, running back out of New Mexico State. In the sixth round, John Pinacini, defensive lineman out of Utah. And then the seventh round, another defensive lineman, Deshaun Cornell out of Ohio State. So, Alex, I'll start with you. We're going to go with our opinion on who, you know, who was the best pick for the Lions in this draft for them. Who did you go with uh, for your best pick for the Lions? Yeah, I I had to go with Jeffrey Okuda. Um, I mean, in my opinion, he's he's the best cornerback prospect in the past ten years. I I know a lot of people, including yourself, he's he's your best since Jalen Ramsey. But as a prospect, I like Okuda more than I like Ramsey. So that that's saying something. He's a special player. It would have been beneficial for the Lions to trade down, but. They kind of showed their cards too early, and everyone knew they wanted to go backwards, and everyone knew who they wanted, so they didn't really have any leverage. But, you know, they were okay doing that because Akuta's a hell of a player and a hell of a cornerback. Yeah, you know, not to uh, beat a dead horse here, but Akuta was my pick for the best pick by the uh, Lions in this draft as well. And, you know, after trading away Darius Slay, I feel like the Lions might have gotten a potential upgrade in Akuta. Like you said, you know, I think Okuda is the best cornerback prospect since Jalen Ramsey. You have him rated higher than Ramsey, which is impressive in it itself because Ramsey's been such a good player in the NFL. And, you know, when you look at what the Lions are trying to do here, I think, you look at Matt Patricia and his defensive scheme, he relies heavily on cornerbacks that can play in man coverage um, pretty much all game long. They lo- love to run cover one concepts on defense all the time there. Um, and, you know, we saw last year that they got burned on that because just because they did not have the talent in the secondary to be able to hold up a man coverage throughout the course of the game. They had too many blown coverages, too many other guys losing in one-on-one matchups, and, you know, Darius Slay was a great cornerback for them for such a long time, but he was a bit of a problem in the locker room in terms of wanting to get a new contract and, uh, you know, butting heads with Trisha just a little bit there, so... Um, you know, they shipped him out, and uh, Jeffrey Okuda is a cheaper, younger option for them at cornerback, and I think he um, kind of fits what they want to do a little bit better than Darius Slay. So Jeffrey Okuda, he can do everything you want from him as a cornerback in terms of every single coverage you can want in terms of all the zones, man coverage, you can play off coverage or press, uh, depending on the receiver he's going up against. Um, and I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a day one starter for them and make a huge impact in their secondary because they love to build their defenses from the secondary and to the up front then. And he's the perfect player to build around as a true shutdown cornerback type of prospect there. Uh, so moving on from that, 
Uh, who would you say was their worst pick overall? Yeah, um, at first I was kind of looking at both their third-round picks. I mean, I like both of the players, but they both seemed like a reach for a third. And also there was just, there was just better players at their position on the board. But I still like both of them as players, so I thought it would be a little unfair to pile on on them. So the next, next two are uh, Logan Sternberg. Uh, he is an interior offensive lineman out of Kentucky. And then also Jason Huntley is a running back out of New Mexico State. And both those picks, I just, I just really didn't love them. Uh, Sternberg, he wasn't even in my top 10 interior offensive lineman. And you already took Jackson earlier in the, in the draft in the third round. So you had your pick of interior offensive lineman, Lloyd Cushenberry, Lloyd Cushenberry uh, Shane Lemieux. Tyler Biotish, they're all on the board when you were taking Jonah Jackson instead. So that's that shows that you have a lot of faith in him on your interior offensive line. And then you, you doubled down and, and grabbed another guard who seemed like a reach. And I, honestly, I, I would predict that Sternberg isn't even on the, the 2021 roster. Which that's saying a lot for a, for a pick to flame out in their second year. Yeah, I mean, Logan Sternberg – or Sternberg is a really interesting player because when you watch him, it is not the easiest on the eyes to look at him in terms of his technique and um, and just the, the lack of athleticism does he, that he has. But he's a big dude in the interior of the offensive line there, and he's one of those true Mueller types where it isn't pretty, but he's a guy that's going to get the job done, or at least he did in college, where you know his technique wasn't really that sound, but he just seemed to always get the job done there in Kentucky, but I'm not sure if that's going to really work for him in the NFL, like you said, because, you know, you need to be more technically sound to be able to handle bigger, more physical defensive tackles at the professional level. And, you know, that's something that maybe he can work on. But, again, it felt kind of redundant when you looked at him and Jonah Jackson. And Jonah Jackson kind of has a, a different play style as Sternberg, where Sternberg is that bigger, lumbering, mauler type uh, Jackson's more of the mobile zone scheme type of offensive guard there. So I thought that was pretty interesting, the way they had two different styles there. And, you know, remember, they lost Graham Glasgow in free agency, who, in my opinion, was their best offensive lineman last season. So they're trying to replace him there, and they're taking two swings at it. But, you know, I think an argument could be made that they passed up on better talent in order to take those two guys. Uh, for me, for my worst pick in this draft, I went with their second-round selection, DeAndre Swift. And this is going to be weird because DeAndre Swift was my top running back uh, in this draft. And I feel like value-wise, early in the second round, that was kind of his sweet spot of where he'd go. But I just felt like there were a lot of other needs on this roster for the Lions to address. I just did not see the value of picking a running back for the Lions uh, this high. You know, like I said, I like DeAndre Swift quite a bit. And I think he would be an upgrade over on Johnson, who's just – you know, when he's on the field, he's pretty good, but he just doesn't stay healthy. So, I mean, I mean, if, if he's healthy next season, you have a really nice tandem of running backs right there where uh, Swift can be more of that athletic receiving back that you want to get in space. But, you know, I just thought it could have benefited the team more to look at other positions there. Their defensive line for the Lions is not very good as of right now. They really don't have any impact talents up front for them. And when you look at some of the top safeties on the board at that time, 
you look at Grant Delpit was on the board. Antoine Winfield was on the board. Xavier McKinney was on the board. You know, I look at the safety room for the Lions, and I don't really like any of the players that they have um, in their secondary room right now. And with Max Patricia and his reliance on coverage and wanting to get cornerbacks in cover, man coverage, and getting versatile safeties, there were a lot of versatile covered safeties on the board, like I just mentioned, that would have been a perfect fit for their, for their system. I also felt like going after a pass rusher, maybe on the edge, would have benefited them quite a bit at this point. Or even taking a wide receiver because, you know, you look at them right now, um, you know, they do have some talent at wide receiver. But, you know, with as low to this as wide receiver class is, um, I felt like they could have benefited there. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not a draft a running back early guy. But I didn't, I didn't hate the pick with him in the second just because, um, you know, that'll, that's going to prevent them from paying a running back down the, down the line. And that, that's what good organizations do in my mind. Yeah, and that's the other thing for me when, you, when you're drafting a running back that high. You know, I'm of the opinion that if you're going to draft a running back in the first or second round, it's either going to be a guy that you think is a truly transcendent talent. Like when you go, like, look at guys like Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey, for instance, guys that can be truly impactful players in all facets of the game. Uh, you know, be a workhorse running back and a guy that can be a receiving threat out of the backfield and maybe split out and be a nice receiver in the slot or create mismatches in the passing game. That true all-around weapon. Um, or you're a team that is looking to, you know, because you have a lot of needs already filled, you're just kind of looking for a luxury pick, trying to get a running back on a cheap contract, like you said, in the second round that can make an impact right away. Because when you look at the history of running backs over the past decade or so, the best ones are usually the guys on their rookie contracts. And then, like you said, you don't really want to pay these guys because once they get to year five or six or seven, they start to break down a little bit and lose some of their effectiveness. So, um, you know, for me, it has nothing to do with the player here. It's just the value of where the, the lines are at in their rebuild and uh, just going with other positions of value at that point. Yeah, no, those are all fair points. Yeah, so um, transitioning then to our overall grade for the Lions draft here, um, what were your thoughts on some of the other picks overall, and what would your grade be for this draft class as a whole? Yeah, it's it's kind of a, an epitome of what I've been thinking of the Lions, where this offseason they made a lot of moves, and I liked half of them. Half of them, I was wondering what the heck they were doing. And that's kind of what it was in this draft. I, I thought they had a lot of hits. Um, I mean, Akuda, they got one of the best cornerback prospects we've seen. They got the best running back in the class. I, I really like Quintez Cephas in the wide receiver court. And Akuda, he actually said that out of all of his years in college, the, the hardest receiver he had to guard was Cephas and that was before Cephas was even drafted or tied to the Lions so th th that's someone who potentially could could really be a force in the NFL if he cuts their cuts some weight adds some speed or even converts a tight end uh, another guy I really like is uh, Aquara I, I wasn't I didn't want the Bears to get him because I thought he was too raw to to perform that well right away but he's a good good piece that could become become more productive later on in his career and he, he has always just been waiting to take that next step and maybe in the NFL he'd be able to do that so overall I, I give him a b plus because I think their their good moves outweighed their bad but 
they really could have knocked this draft out of the park, but they missed on some picks. But overall, they did a great job. Yeah, it's interesting how you bring up Aquara there because he's actually uh, his brother Romeo Aquara plays for the Lions right now. So I thought that was pretty cool that those two guys are going to be playing together uh, next season at the very least. So that's a really cool story for them. Aquara has a lot of upside, like you said, as a pass rusher. And when we had Tim O'Malley on uh, talking about Cole Komet in the last episode, he kind of talked about how Aquara was the type of guy that, you know, they kind of thought had some first-round pick type of potential if it wasn't for injuries of uh, that sort. So that might be a very good value for them. I thought that was right around the range where I thought that was going to be a good pick for them in the third round for Aquara. Um, some other picks that I liked for them in this draft as a whole, you know, I do like John Penasini and Ja'Shawn Cornell, their defensive lineman picks in the sixth and seventh rounds. Now, obviously, those are day three, late day three picks, so it's unknown whether those guys will be even be, even be able to make the team. Um, but we look at them, uh, Penasini, he's a guy that, you know, he's more of that true two-down run stopper type of guy on the interior of your defensive line there. Um, you know, two-gap a little bit, take up blocks, stop the run. That's his role there. He's not going to really offer much as a pass rusher. But in the sixth round, that's a pretty good value. Um, that's a pretty good spot to find a guy to fill that role, I believe. And then we look at the seventh round with Cornell. Uh, Cornell didn't get a lot of playing time at Ohio State. He was overshadowed, obviously, by Chase Young and some of the other talented players on that defensive line. But I don't know. Whenever I watched him, he just seemed like a guy that had some upsides, maybe develop into a nice situational interior rusher. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he seems to get a lot of pressure and generate some pressure there. Um, so I think that was, you know, a pretty good pick for for a seventh-round pick. I mean, it's a nice flyer to get another interior pass rusher potentially uh, for your defense. So overall, I feel like it was a pretty solid draft for the Lions. You know, they got pretty good value on most of their picks, and they filled some needs, which is, you know, always a good thing to do. Uh, addressing the offensive line, getting that lockdown cornerback that Matt, Matt Patricia really likes to have on his defenses. You know, I don't really see a lot of star-studded players in this draft outside of Okuda. So, uh, you know, the upside maybe isn't as high as you want it to be for a team picking third overall in the draft. But, you know, I think they should be able to produce a few stars with this class as a whole. And so, you know, for me, I'll give them an A minus good solid draft. They got good value on some players and uh, overall pretty solid all around. Yeah, it's it it was impressive. I I did have some worries cuz it seems like since Patricia came to town they've they've had some of those questionable picks the Patriots have where you think, "Oh, they know something." But I don't trust Patricia to actually know something like Bill Belichick does. So, but I I came right way and I was impressed with their draft. I think they did a good job. Yeah, I agree 100%. You know, not the greatest news to hear from a Bears fan perspective, but uh, you got to tip your cap to the Lions. I thought they did a pretty solid job considering uh, the picks that they had. Uh, so we're going to take our second break of the show with another word from our sponsor before we get to the Green Bay Packers coming up. I know both of us are uh, pretty excited to get this to this one. So uh, we're going to take a, a short break coming up here. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. Moving on to our next team in the NFC North, we're going to be talking about now the Green Bay Packers who had one of the most universally panned drafts you'll ever see uh, across all NFL media, it seems like. 
not a lot of people are liking this draft, Alex. And uh, so we're gonna I'm gonna run down all the picks here real quick. In the first round, they made the surprise move of the draft, I think, trading up to get Jordan Love, quarterback out of Utah State. Even though they have Aaron Rodgers under under contract for another four years or so, very odd to say the least. But it gets even weirder when you get to the second round, getting A.J. Dillon running back out of Boston College. In the third round, Josiah DeGuara, tight end out of Cincinnati, who we talked about in our tight end episode. On the fifth round, Kamal Martin, linebacker out of Minnesota. They ended up having three six-round pick in the picks, and they used all of them on offensive linemen, first going with John Runyon out of Michigan, Jake Hansen out of Oregon, and Simon Stepaniak out of Indiana. And then the seventh round, they had two seventh rounders, and they spent them both on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, first on Vernon Scott, safety out of TCU, and then Jonathan Garvin, edge player out of Florida. Um, Alex, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, this was a very odd draft, to say the least, considering where the Packers are at in terms of uh, being in their contention window. And it felt weird that um, they spent their first pick on a quarterback with so many other needs and so many other talented players on the board. But honestly, I think we both agree that that might be their best pick out of this, out of this entire class. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Jordan Love, I think, was – the Packers best pick. I mean, he has extremely high upside. He's a great athlete. He's got a great arm. He was just solid value in the back end of the first round. And as a quarterback, he needs to sit two years anyways. So it's a, it's a perfect situation for Jordan Love. I was, I was kind of hoping that he was going to be off the board when the Packers came up, not because I thought the Packers would take him, but more because I thought that they were going to rip a team off who was trying to trade up. So Jordan Love fell to them and took him. And honestly, I not only do I not hate this pick as a prospect, because I think Jordan Love is a great value at that spot, but also I think Rodgers is he's, – he's very – he's getting older. He's had pretty severe injury history these past few years. So the Packers needed to add a competent backup and they addressed it. The main issue for the Packers is it's really a year too early. If they took a quarterback next year, it'd make a lot more sense because then they could have the quarterback start a full season before having to worry about his fifth-year option, whereas Jordan Love, the Packers really can't move on from Aaron Rodgers until after they make their decision on Jordan Love's fifth-year option. So that really forces their hand and they probably won't be able to to get a good look at love before you make that decision. And the fifth year option, that is a big decision. It's going to be even more of one when uh, starting next year, they make the contracts be fully guaranteed if you uh, exercise the option. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's weird because this is really their most controversial pick. I feel like, but you know, like we kind of agree here, it, it might be their best pick. And just because of the simple fact that, you know, Jordan Love, he terrifies me going to the Packers because if he reaches his potential, I mean, you're looking at nearly a half century of elite quarterback playing Green Bay because uh, Jordan Love has as much upside, if not more upside, than any quarterback in this draft. Uh, he's gotten a lot of comparisons to Patrick Mahomes. Now, I don't think he has that type of talent or upside, but 
Uh, he's he's got plenty of it to be a true franchise quarterback um, for a very long time, and it's really a matter of whether Matt Lafleur can reach him and really further his development as a player because he is so raw. He is a raw player, um, you know, understanding coverages. I, I feel like his field vision isn't the greatest at times. Uh, the interceptions took a huge spike this past season, like we talked about quite a bit. So. You know, you're looking at a guy who um, he has that range where he could be either a massive bust um, for his team or a complete home run for them. And if he is a massive bust, then uh, this is a complete and utter failure here by the Packers in terms of this pick and really their entire draft and their entire offseason here. Because um, you look at where the Packers are at right now, they didn't really spend a lot of money to improve their team in free agency because uh, you know, they went on a huge spending spree lap, last offseason. This year seemed like they were trying to take um, – be a little bit careful in terms of their spendings to, so they don't have a lot of long-term contracts holding them down. I know that, that after, you know, this upcoming season and the next offseason, they have a ton of uh, um, expiring contracts that they're going to have to kind of wade their, their way through and not the most cap space for all those contracts. So – um, they're going to be in a little bit of a, a type spot cap-wise over the next couple seasons, so that made sense. But really, when you look at it, they didn't really make any big upgrades this offseason. So you'd think that going to this draft with their first pick, they'd be looking to get an instant contributor. Instead, they get a guy who probably isn't going to play for another three years because when you look at Rodgers' contract situation, like you kind of talked about there, uh, Basically, for the next two to three years, the Packers have to absorb a huge dead cap hit by either trading or releasing, releasing him um, over the next couple of seasons. And I think the lowest it'll get to in the next three years is in 2022, which is, I think, $17.5 million or so just to, like, yep. cut or trade him, if that's correct. I mean, I, you probably know this a little bit more than I do, but... Um, yeah, that's the right number, and that's a lot to, to have someone not play for you. Yeah, and then like you said, they got to make a decision then on the fifth-year option. If they do move on from him there, they're going off of one year to make that decision. And we got to remember now with the new CBA, the fifth-year option is fully guaranteed. So even though it's going to be a lower number than what it would be in this recent CBA, um, in the new one, it's going to be fully guaranteed and you can't get out of it once you extend it to him. So uh, that it's that's what makes this a little bit of a weird pick for me, even though I think it's their best one. The timing of it just makes no sense, and a lot of people are comparing it to um, the Brett Favre and Rogers situation literally 15 years ago. They, I think this happened on the 15-year anniversary of the day Rogers was picked by the Packers um, in the 2005 draft, I believe. So that's just crazy, uh, the coincidence there. But, um, yeah, a lot of people are comparing, comparing it to that. But, you know, I think, Alex, it's a little bit of a different situation, though, because – we look at the Brett Favre situation when Aaron Rodgers was picked. Uh, Brett Favre won. They had him out in his contract for the next four seasons. So um, basically they just get out of it. If he, if they decided to move on and if he retired, they could just move on and it's a clean slate there. Um, and then secondly, you look at Brett Favre, he was already talking about retirement. Aaron Rodgers has made it known that he wants to play in Green Bay, you know, into his early to mid forties at, at the very least. Um, so this to me, it kind of seems like a, like a, a power play by the Green Bay organization here to kind of get their next quarterback in the future and say, you know what, Aaron Rodgers, you know, you've done a lot of good things for us, but we got to think towards the future here. And, th and that's what this pick is all about. 
Yeah, and it, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out over there if if Jordan loves embrace. And honestly, I think a lot of it the uh, depends on how healthy Aaron Rodgers is because if, if Rodgers gets hurt this year, Jordan Love is going to go out on the field and look bad and make that pick look bad and really hurt the locker room where if if, if Rodgers is healthy and then Jordan Love is more so only playing the, the week 17s of the year, then then that pick could end up aging a lot better than if he's forced on the field too early. Yeah, like we said before, he's a raw player. He's got some time. He needs to sit and develop. And, you know, Green Bay is a good spot for that because if Aaron Rodgers stays healthy, like you said, they can give him that time to develop. But if, you know, if Rodgers goes down due to injury and he has to step in and play at some point, yeah, it could get really ugly quick because uh, he just he's an upgrader at their backup position compared to what they had. I think Tim Boyle was their backup quarterback last year, but – um, again, it, it looks weird spending a first-round pick on a backup quarterback in, in that situation. Um, so let's move on then to their worst picks of the draft. And I think we we're kind of similarly aligned on this one, but I'm going to go with you first here, Alex. Who was your worst pick for the Packers in this draft? Or, there's quite a lot of them, I think, personally to talk about in this case. Yeah, um, I'm going with running back A.J. Dillon out of Boston College. Don't get me wrong. I think A.J. Dillon is hes a good running back, and I think he's going to have a decently long career as just a compliment back in the NFL. But personally, I just think he was a massive reach in, in the second round. Uh, there was a lot better players and even team fits for the, for the Packers on the board. We got Josh Jones, an, an offensive tackle. Um, we know they brought in a cheap veteran in Wagner into Phil Bulaga's spot, but he's not a long-term fill and also isn't a great fill. So bringing in someone like Josh Jones would have been helpful. Uh, Antonio Gibson, he would have been a much better fit at the running back. And he was also on the board just because he, he's more of a pass catcher than Dylan, whereas Dylan's more of a, a hard nosed running back. So that's, that's not exactly what you're looking for in a, in a second round pick. And, then also, uh, the Packers have large needs at linebacker and tight end. And Adam Shaheen, or sorry, Adam <laughs> Troutman, who uh, was your number one tight end, he was my number two. He was still on the board. And Zach Vaughn, linebacker out of Wisconsin, would have been a hometown favorite. And he was on the board, and both ended up with the Saints. And the Packers ended up taking a bag of mismanaged goods and A.J. Dillon. So that's going to be a, a crowded running back room. It does prevent them from having to pay Aaron Jones next year, who's going to be a free agent. But uh, we all know that you can address running back uh, later in the draft or even undrafted free agency. And they had two years to find a running back, and they forced it in the second round this year. Yeah, I mean, that that's probably the big thing, I think, for the Packers picking your, uh, you know A.J. Dillon there is, it's just the fact that Aaron Jones, he's going into the last year of his deal. So do you want to give him all that money um, in that case? And I think their backup running back, too, um, is also going to the last year of his, of his deal. So uh, looking at there where it kind of makes sense for them to go after running back here. But, you know, like you, I, I agree. I have A.J. Dillon. I, actually, I have both of their day two picks actually set up here as uh, their worst picks in this draft just because – you know, I feel like the Packers, they had a chance to add some impactful day one players 
at some positions of need and value here on day two. And I'm just going to say it up front here. They, they blew it. I think they absolutely blew it here. I think A.J. Dillon and Aguara, you know, they could actually be solid players for them who play significant roles down the line. But the value here of where they picked them just didn't make any sense to me. And it's clear that Matt LaFleur, coming from his experience working in Tennessee with the Titans as the offensive coordinator in 2018, that he kind of views A.J. Dillon as kind of similar to uh, Derrick Henry. It could be the answer for Derrick Henry in this offense. You know, personally for me, I had Dillon rated as a fourth-round talent. And, you know, frankly, like we, we talked about with DeAndre Swift earlier on in the, in the podcast, uh, you know, both of us aren't really big fans of picking running backs early on in the draft anyway. So to get a guy like A.J. Dillon, who not only is a reach, not only is he a reach, not only is he going to be not playing a big role for you from day one, but he's not a pass catcher either, or at least not a natural pass catcher either. So that one just, it didn't really make a lot of sense for me in terms of the value. You know, I get they want to go to more of a running team right now, it seems like, is the direction that they're going in. But there were, like you said, there were other players available in that second round there that would have made a bigger difference, I think. And, you know, you look at Denzel Mims, who was dropping almost to them, one a couple picks above them to the New York Jets. You know, they could have traded up a couple spots maybe and gotten Denzel Mims to be their instant number two wide receiver to Devontae Adams. So there were a lot of options on the table for the Packers in the second round, and they just didn't capitalize on it. And then in the third round, which is Hyatt Aguara, you know, we talked about the Guara in our, in our tight end episode, how, you know, he kind of, when I described him as a prospect, kind of reminded us of J.P. Holtz as a guy that could be kind of that move tight end, but more of a guy that could spend some time in the backfield as a fullback and be a blocker for you. And it sounds like that's the direction that they're going in here with the Packers. Uh, their GM, Gutenkunz, said actually in the post-draft press conference that they viewed Aguara as a fullback and that's what they're going to be. That's what his role is going to be in their offense. Kind of that Kyle Juszczyk role um, that we see with the San Francisco 49ers over there. You know, again, it's a similar thing here, though, with Dylan. I had a fourth round grade on DeGuara, and there were better tight ends on the board. And I know fullback is an important position for the Floors offense, kind of coming from that Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. But it doesn't change the fact that they're picking a fullback in the third round. It makes no sense to me whatsoever and in the process you're passing on a litany of good linebackers there Josh Jones was there for them in the second round as well and their most you know glaring need this offseason wide receivers there were a bunch of wide receivers there for the taking and they just completely ignored it so that one was a huge head scratcher I'm happy as a Bears fan that they went in that direction but um you know just looking at this as a draft analyst perspective here for, per se um just did not did not like it at all and just did not make a lot of sense to me yeah there there is definitely some question marks on their draft this year yeah i think that's a good chance to uh kind of roll into the overall grade for them you know what were your view on some of the other picks that they made in this draft and you know what overall grade would you give them uh with some of that in mind yeah, and kind of the way I grade is I, I do value that, that first-round pick quite a bit, and I think Love's a great value there. And if you hit on a quarterback, that makes any draft class worth it. And 
So I gave him a D plus, C minus. I'm kind of going back and forth between there just because I don't necessarily hate the players in Dylan DeGuara, but and I think both of them are solid and will actually help the team win games in 2020, but I don't think either of them moved the needle, and I don't think either of them should have gone in even the round that they were drafted. So they were they were both big reaches, and they traded their fourth. So they they really didn't do anything outside of drafting Jordan Love till day three. And honestly, out after the first three rounds, none of those players besides Jonathan Garvin were on my list of players that I would even consider the Bears to be looking at. And that's that's something that jumps out at me. And I really didn't like their draft. And it's really all going to come down to the Love pick because the other ones are definitely not great. Yeah, they drafted a couple of Big Ten guys. I know. Uh, you, what were your thoughts, especially on the offensive lineman getting John Runyon in the in the sixth round? There, you know, I kind of like that pick a little bit um, from his days at Michigan. But you know, did you think there was any good value for them on day three at all? Yeah, I, I think Garvin is a he's a good fit because he's he could play uh, the defensive end in a three four. But in terms of Runyon, I mean he. He's he's solid, and he was a very good college player, but I just don't see him starting in the NFL. I think he's more of a depth piece. Yeah, I mean, in the sixth round, that's not the worst thing to do to get some depth in the offensive line, but that was another head-scratching part of this draft here. They, they get three offensive linemen in the sixth round when they already had, I thought, pretty good depth in their interior already, so – um just it just adds another element to what is a weird draft class um you know I was gonna say up front here for me I'm giving them a tentative f hmm. so I just I did not like this draft at all from just an objective point of view again as a Bears fan you, you love to see it because the Packers you know coming off that 13-3 season I, I didn't want to see them in contention another year. And it seems like with the moves they made this off season and in this draft in particular, it seems like they're not going to be improving as much as you like to see them improve coming off of a year where I felt like they got pretty lucky in a lot of the wins that they had last season. So again, it's, this is a tentative F because it all hinges on that Jordan Love pick. Um, and if, if Jordan Love develops into the franchise quarterback that I think he could be, um, which we won't know until a few years down the road, then I think that grade will spike up for me a little bit. And if he becomes an all-time great, then obviously if you find your franchise quarterback in the future, it's an A because, you know, quarterback is the most important position. And if you can get that guy in the first round, then what you did the rest of that draft doesn't really matter. But in the meantime, you know, this draft is a complete failure for me in terms of, helping them win now with the needs that they had on their roster going into this offseason. You know, the main needs that I thought for the Packers going into the draft here were wide receiver, linebacker, off the tackle to replace Brian Bulaga. Um, quarterback depth, if you look at their quarterback depth chart, it is very thin outside of J Jair Alexander, who is a star, by the way, but uh, behind him, it's not really that promising. Uh, a pass-catching tight end would have been something to look forward to, even though this draft wasn't really uh, that great with tight ends this year, like we talked about quite a bit. And then you can go to finding running back depth and your future franchise quarterback, although I don't really mind them 
finding their future franchise quarterback just because of the value of the position. But part of me thinks that the Packers front office knows that last year's success was a bit of a fluke uh, for them. So it seems like everything they've done this offseason has been in, in an effort to save money going to the future and just looking to build towards the future. And it seems like they're trying to build a combination carbon copy of the 49ers offense, the Titans offense, kind of in that Kyle Shanahan type of system. So, you know, and that's the weird thing for me because they don't really have what made the Shanahan offense so great with the 49ers. And yes, their running game was dominant for them last season. But look at the Packers roster compared to the 49ers roster at the wide receiver position. The 49ers don't have your quote unquote number one type of wide receivers, but they have a lot of speed there. Look at the Packers wide receiver uh, group right now. There's not enough speed in that wide receiver room. So that is going to really limit, I think, some of the stuff they want to do because they want to run a lot of play action. They want to run the ball. They want to throw the ball deep off of uh, the run game to set it up. And um, if you don't have speed to capitalize on the open windows there, it, it, it just isn't going to work, I think, as well as they want it to. Yeah, and I, I think they kind of they, – they took love. They thought he was a value there, and then I think they panicked in the second and the third round trying to get guys who that who LaFleur could plug in day one, and I they did get that. But a fullback and moving uh, Jamal Williams from your second running back to your third running back spot, that's – neither of those exactly are going to add a, a win to your, to your record. So that's – those both felt like reaches and they they inputted uh, some value into their offense, but just not the right spot if you ask me. Yeah, it was a weird draft for the Packers overall, but you know, now we're gonna transition to the Minnesota Vikings, who we both agree had a much better draft than the Packers and a draft that might be a little bit scary for Bears fans coming down the line. But before we get to the Vikings, we're gonna take our final break of the show with another word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace, going with our last team to cover in this breakdown of the NFC North draft classes, going with the Minnesota Vikings now. So what we're going to do is we're going to run down all these names uh, in this draft. And, um, yeah, there's like one million of these things, uh, of these players. It's It was ridiculous what the Vikings did. They had a lot of draft picks going into this draft, but they just kept on trading down and trading down and trading down. And I actually – I think – they actually set a record for most draft picks in the seventh seven round draft era um, that's been around for, I think since the nineties, I believe. So just a ridiculous amount of draft picks for the Vikings. So I'm going to run through all of these as quickly as possible because there's a lot of these guys here on uh, the first round. They had two first round picks here, Justin Jefferson wide receiver out of LSU and Jeff Glanny cornerback out of TCU in the second round, Ezra Cleveland offensive tackle, out of Boise State, in the third round, Cameron Dantzler, cornerback out of Mississippi State, so double-dipping in the cornerback room. And then the fourth round, this is where all the picks start to get a little bit crazy here in terms of the volume. Uh, their first one, DJ Wonham, edge player out of South Carolina. And then James Lynch, defensive lineman out of Baylor. Troy Dye, linebacker out of Oregon. In the fifth round, they had Harrison Hand, cornerback out of Temple, and K.J. Osborne wide receiver out of Miami in the sixth round, Blake Brandle, offensive tackle out of Oregon State, and Josh Metellus, safety out of Michigan. And then the seventh round, 
you have the classic uh, Minnesota Vikings having a ton of picks on day three, as per usual. Uh, Kenny Willekes, edge player on Michigan State. Nate Stanley, quarterback out of Iowa. Brian Cole, safety out of Mississippi State. And Kyle Hinton, offensive lineman out of Washburn. That was a mouthful. Um, Alex, there is a lot of players to talk about here. Well, let's talk about their best player in this draft. Who was it for you? Yeah, I'm going to go with their second first-round pick, uh, Jeff Gladney. He's a cornerback out of TCU. I I really like him as a cornerback, and I had him right there with uh, uh, Jalen Johnson, who the Bears ended up grabbing. And, you know, that that's two good corners coming into the division. And the thing about Gladney and the pick that – or the reason why I think this pick was really the best move by the Vikings is everybody knew the Vikings wanted Jeff and all the mocks were having him take it. They kept having meetings with Jeff Gladney, but then they traded back and still got their guy. So being able to know that this is a player that we think special, but still kind of, taking the chance knowing there's other good corners on on the on the board and being willing to trade back and just take some extra draft capital that's that's a big win for GMs and while the Vikings front office has had some questionable decisions moves like this and really acquiring picks and yeah they took 20 guys or however many they ended up drafting but you only have to hit at about on about 50 of them and and the more more bullets you got, the more likely you're going to hit your target. So I, I think the Vikings did a good job there taking Gladney and even more so trading back and still getting the guy that everyone knew they wanted. Yeah. Vikings general manager, uh, Rick Spielman, he's been a master at this, at this in terms of getting draft value uh, with trades and just trading down and getting as many picks as possible to fill a lot of needs here. And, you know, like you said with Jeff Gladney, that was a, a one of those, great masterclass moves to trade down and still get the guy that they wanted while picking up some valuable draft capital down the line in this draft, which, you know, that's a great way to go about, uh, about business here. Um, for me, I, I had to stick with quarterback here, you know, I down with Justin Jefferson, who was their first pick in this draft, but you know what? I, I had to go dancer because I felt like they got just a really good value with that pick. And, you know, when I look at when I look at Dantzler here, uh, he's a guy that could start relatively early because you look at who's in the pipeline for the Vikings at quarterback. It's it's pretty bare right now. You know, they lost their three starters uh, from last season in free agency, and you know a lot of these rookies that they drafted here are going to get some playing time. So when you have a guy like Dantzler who you know he didn't really test well at the combine whatsoever. You know, he's a little bit of a skinnier guy in college, so. It seemed like he tried to bulk up for the combine a bit, but that really slowed him down. He ran a 4.6240, and, and typically when you look at cornerbacks, uh, if they're running in that 4.6 range, that's likely to cut off for guys that, you know, the difference between being a guy that will make it in the NFL and a guy who won't make it in the NFL. But you know what? When I look at his tape, it was fantastic this past season. He was really one of the only guys to slow down Jamar Chase at LSU who is the best wide receiver in the country, is going to be the top wide receiver in next year's draft. Dantzler did a fantastic job on him when they played earlier in the season. So, you know, he's a guy that has a lot of natural coverage ability. And he, I like that he brings a little bit of a different style 
uh, as opposed to Glenn. He's more of a smaller, shorter, quicker guy who's going to be feisty at the line of scrimmage and get up in your face. Cameron uh, Dantzler is a guy who's a little bit longer, limbed of a player. Um, and, yeah, he can come up and press you. But he's a guy that's really hard to throw jump balls to just because he has that height and length that it's just really hard for taller, bigger wide receivers to get the advantage on him. So I really liked that pick for them just because of the value standpoint. But there were a lot of picks that I like in this draft for, for the Vikings just because they had so many of them. In terms of a pick that you weren't a big fan of, though, uh, who, what was the one pick that you kind of were scratching your head a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I might be on, on on an island on this and being the only one with this opinion, but Ezra Cleveland. I know he got a lot of first round buzz, but I never, I never saw it into him. And he, he is a high upside guy playing a premium position. So you could say that that's a good value for the Vikings there, but I'm very low on him. I, I think he needs to work on his technique a lot and I don't think he could play for two years in the NFL. So that's, that's saying a lot. And, you know, it's he's a high ceiling, solid project, but that's just someone I'm I don't value, and I think the the Vikings could have done much better there. And you know, they made up for it in other spots, but Ezra Cleveland, I'm I'm one of the low guys on the block in terms of opinions on Cleveland. I just I just don't see it, and there was better players on the board there. Yeah, I mean, Josh Jones is on the board. Uh, another offensive tackle. So they, I thought much better than Ezra Cleveland. Yeah. We both had Josh Jones as a first round talent. It's, it's surprising that he fell all the way to the third round to the Cardinals, but that's another conversation for another, another day. But yeah, to stick with Cleveland, you know, I, I find it, uh, this pick kind of similar to the Brian O'Neill selection a couple of years ago. So uh, they're starting a right tackle right now. They picked in the second round, I believe as well. You know, Brian O'Neill, when he was coming out of Pittsburgh, he was, kind of similar to Cleveland that both were great athletes at that offensive tackle position, but both needed to get stronger and work on their technique a little bit. And it worked off excellently for O'Neal, who's been a very solid right tackle for them uh, since entering the NFL. Um, And with Cleveland here, he's probably going to slide into that left tackle position once he finally develops, but it's pretty clear that they want to run, you know, coming from Gary Kubiak who's going to be, you know, he was the offensive, he was kind of an offensive assistant last year and not really the offensive coordinator, but it's his uh, system that they're running here in Minnesota right now. And so in order to run that system, you need offensive linemen that are very athletic and mobile in space. I mean, that's why they drafted Garrett Bradbury uh, last year in the first round to be their center of the future, because he is very athletic as the center in that system. So I kind of see, uh, kind of see why they went with a guy like Cleveland because he is probably, you know, probably not the most athletic tackle in this class, but he's up there in terms of pure athleticism. So, you know, he, they, he's, he's in a position where he doesn't have to start right away. They can give him the weight room a little bit, um, work on his technique a little bit, and maybe he's ready in a year or two. But, yeah, for me, I went with a different one here in the fourth round with DJ Wunham. Uh you know, the Vikings have a history of developing these edge players in the middle rounds of the draft. Um, but I thought this was a pretty big reach uh, here for DJ. Um, it's kind of similar to when you look back to Daniel Hunter, who, if you remember, coming out of LSU, he was a guy who didn't get a lot of sacks and was kind of considered a, a raw prospect. 
But for whatever reason, the Vikings, they just know how to develop these guys. And DJ, he's a very good athlete, but he's just not the greatest player at football right now. Um, I don't even think he had 10 sacks in his entire career um, at South Carolina there. So uh, he's a guy that he's a bit of a project as well. The fourth round, I mean, those are, there are a lot of projects, you know, that you're going to take a swing on. If, if you're going to take a swing on a guy, then why not make an edge player? But I thought there were better values at edge in this draft. At that spot, the Vikings had available to them. I, you know, for instance, look at the Bears pick, Travis Gibson, in the fifth round. I thought like he was a much better prospect than DJ overall. So, um, yeah, that one was a bit of a, uh, of, a, of a reach for me. Yeah, and if, if they didn't want a raw guy like Gibson, they could have went with a, a more polished, proven college rusher like Curtis Weaver. It, it was a surprise pick for me, too. Yeah, I mean, when you have so many picks, then – you know, not all of them are going to be guys that um, you're kind of expecting. They're, they're going to take some swings on guys that might be a little bit of uh, under the radar a little bit, and that, that was kind of one of the cases there. Um, so in terms of your overall thoughts on this draft, how would you grade this uh, draft as a whole for the Vikings with all the draft picks that they had available to them? Yeah, I'd, I'd go A-. minus. I think they had a, a really good draft. I mean, they, they had a ton of holes in their roster after making so many moves this off season and letting a lot of free agents walk. But I, I think they did their best to, to, to fill these holes. And I think that they, they reloaded that corner. They had a lot of question marks in that corner room, even though I didn't like Trey Waynes or Xavier Rhodes. I thought they were both actively bad corners in 2019, but now they have a, a pretty crowded young corner room we don't know if they're any good but it is pretty crowded and they're just hoping that some cream rises to the top with uh, uh mike hughes uh jeff gladney Cameron dantzler there's just uh there's some interesting names on that roster and they're just hoping competition with these young guys they can produce some studs but that that's not a given so We'll see how it pans out for them. The other thing is they really do need to add more to their pass rush. And I thought that they were going to take some more swings in the later rounds of this draft on the pass rushing position. But honestly, none of them outside of uh, Kenny Willickies out of Michigan State, who I actually love that pick. But I really thought that they needed to add some more, some more oomph in the pass rush in this draft. And they didn't do it in my eyes, so they're going to have to sign some veterans or do something or else they'll have a big hole in their pass rush, and it'll make it even tougher on their young secondary that has a lot of work to do. Yeah, this is a very interesting class, I think, for the Vikings just because when you look at the totality of what they've done all offseason, you know, a lot of these guys are going to have to contribute right away, uh, especially if they want to compete for – a playoff spot this coming year because they let a lot of proven production go in free agency and they're kind of going with a kind of a, a sauce rebuild here it seems like with this draft bringing so many young players um but overall I feel like this is a pretty good draft um and it should help them reload you know after an offseason that was just full of turnover all over the place you know, I, I see potentially three to four day one starters for them that could be core contributors for a long time here. And, you know, the guys I'm thinking of here are Justin Jefferson and Jeff Gladney, of course, in the first two rounds. Um, you know, I talked about Cameron Dantzler, who I really like. 
And I actually like James Lynch out of Baylor, the defensive lineman that they took in the middle round rounds of this draft here. A guy who may not be a, a starter per se, but a, a nice rotational piece. You know, he's not really the best athlete or biggest guy overall, but he just seems to get the job done and make plays. So I like that pick for them in the middle parts of this draft. And then if Ezra Cleveland can reach his potential, he's a guy that could be a, a nice, solid starting left tackle, I think, going forward in the future there. So uh, lots of good stuff, I think, in this draft for the Vikings as a whole. And one reason why I really like this draft as a whole as well is because I felt like they manipulated the draft board really well, trading back and getting more picks and still getting guys that they were obviously very high. And we talked about Jeff Glanny, for instance. I mean, that was a really nice pick for them, being able to trade back and still get him uh, in the first round there. So I'm not sure they got a true superstar in this draft, although Jefferson and Glanny do have the type of upside there to be really, really good players, I think, down the line. But this is the type of draft that you can really build a good foundation going forward for this team because they're starting to get older with their old core here in Minnesota. So with all the draft picks that they've brought in, all the young guys that they're bringing to the roster right now, uh, this is a good chance to kind of extend their contention window, you know, assuming that they can figure out the quarterback position down the line instead of uh, just having Kirk Cousins there in that quarterback room. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how many of these draft picks crack the roster. That's one thing I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah, I mean, with with all the draft picks that they had, I don't think all these guys are going to be able to make the roster, even in this first year, um, which is just it, – it's crazy to, to think about that. Um, because when you look at, you know, for instance, like the Bears draft, for instance, you're assuming that most, if not all, the draft picks – maybe outside the seventh rounders are going to make the roster or at least be on the practice squad. Um, that might not be the case with the Vikings here because they have just so many of those guys that they pick. So uh, that'll be very interesting to kind of uh, keep a, keep a lookout for, but uh, yeah, I think that's a good time to conclude this episode of picks for pace. Thanks for tuning in bears fans and draft enthusiasts alike. Uh, this is a really fun episode getting to talk about all the other teams in the NFC North. And uh, yeah, so thanks again for listening. And we look forward to discussing more draft topics as we delve deeper into this off-season period. Yeah, thanks for giving us a listen. And be sure to give us a follow at, at Picks for Pace on Twitter. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.